everyone, and welcome to the Modern CFO Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Seski. Today, we're joined by Mandy Basra, CFO of Rent Moolah. Thanks so much for being here, Mandy. Thank you for your time, Andrew. Thank you for having me. We're going to be discussing the future of rental payments and how companies like Rent Moolah are expanding offerings into the future of all payments. So we're going to talk about the infrastructure of what's happening in the world today in terms of streamlining payments, as well as Mandeep's role and route to becoming the CFO of Rent Moolah. So I always like to kick off our podcast with a really open-ended question about what the term modern CFO means to you. I think uh, the definition of modern CFO is uh, currently embracing the new technology that are available to the finance teams and to the operational teams of the companies. What I've found is historically, we've been doing financial reporting and reporting on historicals. It's uh, Let's use these tools to automate what we can and uh, get forward-looking projections. So tell me a little bit about Rent Moolah and how you came to find the opportunity and how you came to work at really directing all of North American and Canadian rental owners to be able to enable property managers and owners, allow tenants to easily pay rents. And you know what open opportunities were exciting to you at the time that made you make this leap? I've been with Rent Moolah for uh, almost a year now. The opportunity, it was just presented itself to me kind of through LinkedIn. Uh, it was an outreach from a recruiter, found the opportunity, the company, uh, very interesting, very exciting with everything that is going on in the world right now uh, with the pandemic. Rent Moolah, 10 years we've been in business, the new leadership team basically were it's startup 2.0 in our view. And we're just embracing technologies, partnerships, busy on the development front to make sure that the offerings of products and services that we have in place now and in the future are exactly what the market needs and what the, it fulfills their wants. So Mandeep's joining us from Vancouver. And I know that the pandemic has had an effect across the world in, in different ways. Can you tell me a little bit about how the push to digital experiences in almost every aspect of our lives has affected Rent Moolah. So Andrew, I think the, the biggest thing is with the pandemic coming to front of line in uh, March of last year, there was a lot of unknowns. We knew people were getting sick. We knew people were passing away, unfortunately, but we didn't know how serious this pandemic was going to be. With offices shutting down, there was a lot of information coming from the World Health Organization. There was a lot of information from doctors and whatnot. So there was a lot of stuff that people were interpreting however they wanted to interpret. And with the vast spread of the virus, it was interesting to see our, our customers thinking about their employees and wanting to keep them safe. A lot of our uh, property managers um, who have tenants that were paying by either cash or check, they wanted to stop that because they didn't know how the virus was going to spread with paper and, and, and whatnot. So what we saw was a, an increase with our property managers and our marketing team working together to market our solution to their tenants and saying, hey, you know, to keep us safe, keep yourself safe, what we're going to do is we're not going to accept any checks anymore for the time being. We're not going to accept cash payments. What we're going to do is we're going to utilize this tool that we have in place with Rent Moolah and make sure that you're able to pay your rent without uh, the risk of getting sick. So we've seen we've seen a huge increase in our platform in that regard. So you've been able to basically modernize the entire experience of paying rent all over an immediate course of a number of months. And now web is, I guess, going on a year. 
Can you tell me a little bit about how your leadership style was developed maybe at previous companies or what lessons did you learn that maybe are relevant to crisis management or maybe in Ramula's case, a drastic need to deploy your resources across more people in a moment's notice? Interesting question there. Because when I joined, I joined the company in April. And that was, once again, that's right when the pandemic started. So um, everybody was working remotely, working from home, didn't have the opportunity to meet the, the team or whatnot. So it's the learning experience based on you know my previous work experiences, it was vastly different. You have to dig in remotely. You're, you're on Zoom meetings all day long. And then um, you, know, you have your day-to-day stuff to do as well. Whereas in previous lives, you're in the office, you just tap somebody on the shoulder and ask them a question and everything is done. So that has really, really changed the landscape of businesses, especially in the finance department, where you need to be readily available all the time with information. And you know, coordinating that over phone calls using, once again, technology, using Slack, using uh, Zoom meetings is very key. And I think communication and transparency has really come to the forefront with this pandemic. So Ren Mula plays a pretty interesting part in financial infrastructure, which feels like it had been upended in April. How do you see Ren Mula's positioning in the payments and financial infrastructure? And where are you trying to build out this infrastructure in a way that maybe most don't really understand? The key for us is what is a market need right now? And what are the market wants? So we've uh, been working with our key stakeholders, uh, which are obviously our customers and internal stakeholders on our sales team, operations team, marketing team, to go out and, and find solutions that were lacking for our customer base. For example, like going back is offering payments for people that were accepting checks and cash payments, making sure all of our reporting reconciliations are in place for the finance teams for um, our customers. Right now, I believe there is a 70-some-odd billion dollars in uh, back rent that is outstanding right now for tenants, for apartment buildings and whatnot, condos. And what we've done is we've partnered with a few uh, companies out there, and we're offering uh, kind of like a rent now and pay later solution, where it's kind of like micro-lending, micro-financing, you can call it, at 0% interest. So the tenants don't have to uh, face any financial hardship in these times. And the, the property manager still gets paid and there, there's no additional interest. Right now, it's a decision that people have to make. Do I feed my family or do I pay my rent is, is basically the state of the economy right now. So we're, we're finding those kind of solutions to help our user base. That's incredible, first of all. And congratulations on supporting so many people as they make that really challenging decision as to how to spend constrained resources. How do you think that the modernization of payment structures, infrastructure, microfinancing, microlending. How do you think this plays out going into 2021? Is this a new normal where we can continue to use data and understand where people are great at making very up-to-date, very current payments on all of their outstanding debt, where it's very easy to build out microfinancing? Where do you see all of this evolving coming hopefully out of the pandemic in the near future? I think 2021, for the next couple of years, fintech is going to be at the forefront in business. There's a lot of solutions out there. Obviously, Rentmula is one of them. And banks, they, got, they have legacy systems. They can't support the current user base right now. 
everything is going towards online or real time. And, uh, you know, with apps being available for a, a variety of solutions out there, processing payment, there's early wage access from my previous lives, which isn't available. And um, I think what's going to happen, my gut feel is within the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, these banks with their legacy system, they can't really develop and move forward. So there's going to be a lot of synergies between the legacy banking systems and solutions like ours, where the banks will need to or will be forced to work with companies like ours. So do you think that there is an integration with legacy systems or do you think that you're going to need to replace some of this infrastructure that you're describing? I think it'll be a bit of both. I can see uh, banks to overhaul their systems. And, uh, you know, what we're seeing in the fintech industry is a huge undertaking. So I think there will be there will be a lot of partnerships, a lot of white labels and a lot of M&A activity over the next three to five years. Let's take a step back and talk a little bit more about what your personal opinion is on what challenges are facing the modern CFO today and maybe a little bit more about how you decided that this was going to be a route that you were most interested in. And I know that there are a number of companies we were speaking just before we got on the air here to um, just discussing some of your previous roles. And I know that this is not your first time around of being a leader and deploying all of your talent across a number of different functions. But maybe we can kind of color in what that looks like in your opinion. I think just from previous lives, you know, I've been I've been involved in uh, fintech companies, three of them in uh, moving money. Rand Mula, obviously, being a, a one of them, moving money for our tenants and our property managers. My previous life, the company before this, we uh, actually created the early wage access space, where employees were had access to fifty percent of their earned wages, which was interest free. And once again, it was solving for the solution of do I pay my rent or do I do I put food or get gas in my car so I can go to work. Previous to that, it was the archiving company for the major trading platforms. There's a lot of synergies, once again, with what's going on in the market. But I don't see the big banks doing anything on, on their own. And the challenges are the overhaul process to get to where we are right now is a five to 10 year process, most likely for these big banks. So the challenge is getting in front of these big banks or other partners presenting our solution and basically saying, this is a solution that is going to change the world. That's incredible. I think that the speed in which you can access funds is so important today. I know that there are a lot of people who are working contract jobs, first time outside their regular work, maybe a supplemental income where there's hours that are agonizing waiting for payments. So I think the innovation there is really, really incredible. And I also appreciate the fact that you said this is a five to 10 year process of software development. So there's actually now an intersection between these legacy systems where there are needs that are currently unmet. And we finally now have software and talent that will allow for masses of people to utilize the fact that this software is scaling in their benefit. And I think that's a really, really powerful notion. I think that that this might be one of those moments in history where we look back and say, there was actually a page that we turned and now we have companies like Rent Moolah who are solving problems that there aren't other people who are willing and able to do. And here we are, we have a fantastic guest and a fantastic team doing exactly that. So I wanted to ask again, what are the, like what do you see as the most important skill sets for CFOs during and exiting the pandemic? I know that you said your leadership style stems from your 
expertise in this payment infrastructure, but where do you see these different leadership styles really informing some of the ways that you're creating maybe a more transparent environment around strategic decisions? I would say is understanding what's going on in the market in the world and working closely with the executive team. And we'll use a pandemic as a perfect example. This came to the forefront in the, the March timeframe. I believe you know, mid-March, everything was uh, on clo- shut down. Everybody started working from home all of a sudden. And uh, you know, in, Q, in 2019, Q4, 2019, early Q1, 2020, we had a roadmap on our development side. So we knew what we were going to do for the next 12, 18 months. We had all our resources set out. And then we saw this pandemic hit. And that and understanding where where the market is going, understanding what what is going on in the world and affecting your customer base, I think is key. And that's where that's where the teams all get together. And it's uh you know you you got you got to be able to pivot on a dime. And that's and that's where the solution that we were talking about before, the microfinancing, micro lending, um, insurance products that we have come into play. If we can't see what's going on in the market, we can't predict. Obviously, we can't predict the future. But we got to we have to be able to anticipate and make pivots as we as as we move forward. We can't just say, in, "Well, this uh, you know in Q one, this is what we want to do. This is what our roadmap is." But the whole world changes, and you don't change. Well, Mandeep, I love your answer, but I'm going to have to push back a little bit. Omniscient is not a quality a modern CFO can realistically obtain. Although I have heard in our previous conversations that if anyone had anything as a, a CFO, if they could you know, wave a magic wand and have any tool in the world, a crystal ball would have been a very, very good one going into 2020 as you rework a lot of the operational and strategic roadmap going ahead. So how do you manage having a micro focus on your day-to-day and pairing that with this macro view that it allows you to be in touch with the marketplace? How do you personally deal with all of this? Although... Omniscient would be a great quality to have, I, I do have to say. But I don't know yeah. that every CFO has that. I think maybe as we move into artificial intelligence land in the future, we may get closer. But today, that's not currently an option. So would you mind telling us a little bit more about kind of your day-to-day, how you balance micro and macro? I think for our, from my side, data is key. Is analyzing data so we can we can obviously like you said if we had a crystal ball or magic wand we can predict it you know we we'll see what's going on a month from now and we can be ready for it but we can prepare ourselves the best we can with the data that we have so you know in the data right now I'm not I'm not you know speaking about the balance sheets and income statements and cash flow statements it's actual it's actually you know the trends that we see in our payment processing and you know we dig down deeper what what do we see certain customer of ours what their tenants are doing. And how that changes over time. Is it, is it just a cycle? Is it just going month over month or is it seasonal? That's the stuff that, that we need to uh, get a handle on. So we can kind of predict the future. For example, if we see in the summertime, short term rentals is very high typically. And then all of a sudden we see a decrease. We need to figure out why that decrease is happening. And I think transparency and communication in, in this world right now is a key. Right now, people are working from home. We can't turn around and talk to our uh, coworkers. So typically, you know, there's a lot of chatter within offices. You 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 hear things, you see things. But now, without good communication and t- transparency, a lot of people will fail. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought of that in that perspective, and that's why I love doing these podcasts because that completely changed my opinion of the way that I would think about how I would have guessed you handle that. But it's really important. I'm so glad you said it. 
I wanted to kind of go back since I already mentioned the magic wand. It's something that I like to bring up in terms of if you could envision any operational challenge that you would wipe away, do you have one in mind? And what would that be? That's a good question, Andrew. I think it would be access to real-time data and interpreting real-time data. Sometimes that data isn't in our control. You're waiting for information from partners and, and whatnot. Daily data sometimes isn't, isn't good enough. Yeah, that's a really good point, especially as you're building out unique products to help people who are currently struggling. Like this is not a something you can put on. There's somebody struggling in outside of Vancouver who we'd like to help, but we can put that on the roadmap in three to five months. And they're struggling right now. And you have provided a lot of solutions up front. I can only imagine if you had access to real-time data, how quickly you could build out products that would even further increase the value of utilizing a Red Moolah platform. That's the first time I've gotten that answer. And that's pretty exciting. I love that. Real-time data analysis. And I think that you're probably going to get closer and closer in the years to come. And I'm sure that it's going to drive the growth of the business. So I do want to kind of think a little bit more out into the next three to five years. Is there something that's particularly very exciting to you or something that gets you excited that you think is on the horizon, either for Red Moolah or something that's happening in the payment infrastructure space? Like I mentioned earlier, I think there's going to be a frenzy of activity, M&A activity with banks, partnerships with big banks, I think it's going to be key. There's a lot of companies out there that are doing great things, obviously Red Moolah included, that banks can uh, benefit from as well as platforms like ours. And I'm just using examples like bill payment as an example, partnering with a bank. We can offer bill payment, utility payments, bill payments to our user base, uh, cell phone bills or, or whatever other kind of bills. On the flip side, banks can offer rental payments, which they can't do right now. Because basically, they're, they're not an aggregator. They'll do, you know, they'll do one payment here and there for people. But using platforms like ours, partnering with platforms like ours, it's a kind of like a win-win situation. They already have the user base and they're just offering, an, whether it's a white label or, or a referral partnership with Rentmula. So walk me through what an ideal partnership may look like then. So just thinking back to the individual, the user who's getting all this benefit from instant payment to instant access to cash. And a lot of this has to do with their infrastructure is designed in a way that is, it's purposeful, but it has not caught up with the rapid expansion of technological innovation that's happened over the last 10 years. And there's a push to digital payments in almost every space. So how do you envision these key partnerships integrating? What's kind of the end benefit for the user who uses Rentmula, who knows that it's great for a number of different ways to get your rent paid super easy, easily, the spin out of new products around microfinancing. How do you envision these partnerships integrating and what's really the end user feeling that you want to capture in terms of maybe even relieving stress around personal finances? Great question. Um, let's go with my, the microfinancing as an example. Right now, you have to go into a bank, you have to make an appointment, that appointment can be take days, and then you have to provide them with all your, your IRS tax returns, your W-2s and whatnot. And we're looking at a week to two week process for a $1,000, $2,000 loan to get you through to next pay period or whatever. But with technology like ours, it's all done through the app. You can uh, apply for your micro microfinancing and, and you get a response back within 90 seconds. You have the funds deposited in your account within a couple of minutes. 
and it's at zero percent of financing. Whereas in the banks, they'll charge you five to eight percent for that. Or on the flip side, if you're not going to go to the bank, you're going to a payday lender. And for those who don't know how challenging it is to be in a situation where a payday lender is your option, um, I can vouch that Rent Moolah's no interest payment structure is a far more wise route. Can you talk a little bit about the way that the company's positioned in terms of actually providing internal value around how does Rent Moolah make money in these transactions and what part of the infrastructure has been kind of bloated by intermediaries? Like we're talking about several weeks of delays from really outdated and antiquated systems. Uh, But there's also a way to make Rent Moolah become you know, the standard of how we think about these recurring payments. How does Renmula make money in all of this? And if it's not on any interest, I know the big banks have gotten bloated and we've given them the standard so that they can kind of dictate our terms. But how is Renmula redefining those terms? The way at a high level, without getting in details and stuff, the way Renmula makes money, and this is all available online, so it's nothing that is secret here is basically interchange fees, processing fees is where we, where we make a bulk of our money. So as an example, you go to um, you go to a gas station, Esso or Chevron, you pay at the pump, you pay $100 in, uh, for gas, you receive $100 in gas. But what the merchant only gets is about $97 or $96 because Visa, MasterCard, Amex are keeping $4 for themselves. And then we get a portion of that. And it's still by far the most simple solution on the market today. And I think it's an incredible thing that you're doing. So I do want to kind of refocus our energy and time into perhaps talking a little bit about you and kind of what it's, what's inspiring you right now. And I want to think that there has to be something that you think in the world is being underestimated. You've come from a payments and finance infrastructure and a data aggregator and a fintech background that's so informed, and you've been doing it for now a long time. So I want to kind of get into your mindset of what do you think the world is underestimating right now? I think what the world is underestimating is the underbanked population. That's what a lot of these fintech companies are out there doing is serving the underbanked or the unbanked. I believe it's somewhere around the 40% range, 30, 40% where residents of the US are underbanked. There's a large number in Europe that are underbanked. Australia, same thing. Obviously, we have the third world countries that don't have bank accounts. And this is where solutions like ours and fintech and obviously partnering with banks or even neobanks that are very, very popular these days are the solutions. And just for those who may not have heard the term underbanked, unbanked is clearly those who are not a part of the financial ecosystem, not engaged in public or private markets whatsoever. What does underbanked mean? Underbanked is basically somebody that does have a bank account, but you don't utilize a bank account. You, there's The products and services that you do need aren't being offered. So would you argue then that big banks now are even providing a suite of services that could be considered underbanked during something like a global pandemic? Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that statement. And like I said, if there's a lot of branches that were closed. As an example, uh, when the pandemic hit, banks were closed, restaurants, everything was closed down. So how, how is somebody supposed to go in to a bank and pay their rent? When you're a property manager, your landlord isn't accepting checks or cash. 
I mean, you're essentially saying that what happened in a split moment is going to stay. People are unlikely to go back into their banks to start paying for recurring payments that could easily be automated. So do you see this as something that's going to stick? For sure. For example, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I don't remember the last time I went to a bank. The majority of my stuff is uh, online. Like you said, I'm from Canada and uh, we don't use checks that much. But when I do receive an odd check, it's I open up my app and take a picture and deposit the check. The majority of the time, everything is digital now. You have wallets. You, you, you just have to tap your phone and you pay for whatever you need. Cash is just, it's in the bank and you use it to pay your uh, visa bills or your MasterCard or Amex bills. I do want to sort of touch back on the last question about what you feel is underestimated in terms of the unbanked and the underbanked. Is there somebody that, now I know that the easy answer would be the CEO of Red Moolah. Is there somebody outside the company that you are inspired by who's leading the charge in trying to disrupt the unbanked and underbanked? I know digital currencies are a big push and have been for a long time and are gaining more media and mainstream attention. I know that there are a lot of entrepreneurs that are trying to solve a myriad of different problems here. Is there somebody that you personally are inspired by in this solving of the unbanked and underbanked world that we're living in still? Not at a personal level, but just contacts that I have from before, you know, colleagues that I've worked with before in the fintech industry. It's just discussions with them and what they see and the discussions we have of, of where the world is going. Cryptocurrency is everywhere right now as well. People <laughs> like goes back to the magic wand and uh, crystal ball. If if I knew uh, Bitcoin was going to be sixty some odd thousand dollars at ten cents, I would have bought a, a bunch of it back in two thousand six, two thousand nine. I think the, just those kind of discussions and colleagues, fintech is here to stay, and it's, it's going to have to be embraced by everybody. I actually really appreciate that answer. Sometimes people mention a, a great inspiration or a per, personal inspiration, but. You just described that feeling where you're sitting around with friends and colleagues discussing something about the world you'd like to change. And I think that defines the modern CFO better than anything I possibly could put into uh, any notes or read off any script, that feeling of innovation, but with financial leadership and style of where you've had your prior lives in payment infrastructure. It's really, really exciting to me. So that feeling of being able to change the world and have, you know, these great conversations around people with the ideas and capacity and resources to go implement them. I think that's going to be one of my favorite answers for a long time. So I appreciate that. Thank you. And I think the key word there, um, that Andrew, that you use is innovation. I don't think there, there will ever be an end to innovation, right? Like we mentioned, you know, we have we have neo banks all of a sudden, branchless banks. We have uh, we have uh, Bitcoin, like it's you know, it, it's just crazy. Uh, electric cars, self driving cars. So it changed back back when I started, you know, my career a long time ago. I'm not going to age myself here, but you know, we were implementing uh, a new software on on the accounting and HR side, and there was a lot of fear. Because back then, change was perceived as negative. We're automating things and I'm going to lose my job, were the discussions in the workplace before. Now, innovation is seen as something positive. Change is good. We're we're actually getting tools. We're automating things to move the business forward, to help our employees be more efficient and more effective. I couldn't have said anything better myself. Mandy, if you've got anything else you'd like to, to conclude on, I think this has been... A fantastic conversation. I know that our listeners are going to love to hear from 
all of the leadership style that you're deploying now and creating a transparent environment for Rentmula to rocket ship through 2021. And I have to say again, congratulations on all of the hard work in deploying resources to people who really need it right now. I think it takes a certain type of company culture that can sprint very, very aggressively at these types of challenges. And I know that often it comes from the leadership. So I just wanted to to thank you for that vision. And I know that Ramula is going to be around for a long time and I'm excited to watch the, the company grow. So just thank you so much again for all the time on the podcast today. Thank you for your time, Andrew. And thank you for the opportunity. We really appreciate it. Thank you.